0: Now, more than ever, the great people of Tennessee are frustrated with the current direction we're headed as a state and as a country. We, the people, need to take a stand together, not simply as individuals, but as a force of nature in order to protect individual liberty. On this show, you'll hear from three voices who lead an organization called Tennessee Stands. Myself, John Fender, the Director of Communications, Gary Humble, the executive director, and Kevin Kukaji, the chairman of the board. We'll sit down with politicians, business leaders, community organizers, and citizens just like yourself to discuss the ideas, action points, and strategies needed to boldly take a stand and assert the unalienable rights given to us naturally by God. Welcome to the Freedom Matters podcast. I I, uh, I thought I was going to be the next person to not be here this week. And it made
1: me very sad. But my
0: record stands true. I'm I here. I thought I was going to miss today, but...
1: So, so far you haven't missed any, right? No, I haven't. It's, it's good. So, um, short hockey reference. Phil Kessel, he used to play for the Penguins. Before that, he played for Toronto Maple Leafs and Boston Bruins and now plays for, unfortunately, the um, Arizona Coyotes. He has a streak of 900 and some active games in a row Hmm. and this week his wife had a baby so the way he maintained his streak and still got to be there in time for the birth and delivery delivery and birth was that he played one shift so the game started he played one shift got off the ice high-fived everybody (laughs) went back to the locker room so maybe this is kind of the equivalent you're doing your one shift here and no no i'll be here for the whole
0: episode (laughs) i'm not taking
1: off (laughs) doing more than one shift
0: um good so Gary had an idea. Kevin has written a book. I've never written a book. Don't know what that's like, but Kevin has. He has a new one. Gary thought that would be a good idea for us to shed some light on that. Go over mm-hmm. what's in that book, when when it's going to be available, all that good stuff. So we'll do that. But before we get to that, Kevin thought it would be a good idea.
1: And <laughs> to start with a <laughs> Tennessee legislative update. If Gary gave from a
0: Gary. legislative update.
2: Yeah, I mean. Lots of things happening in the legislature right now. Things tend to start happening pretty fast right about now. We're we're coming to the close of March, and and in in, in particular this year because um, of course it's an election year, and um, so they're they're they start to get in a hurry. Uh, Tennessee law for for those of you who don't know this, and I bet I just I found this out recently. Tennessee law prevents state legislators from raising campaign funds while they are in session. So they are fiercely working towards dropping that gavel so they can get out and take in checks and Mm -hmm. do that whole thing. So anyway, that's where we are. So things are moving pretty quick. Some bills that we had hopes that were going to get in there are now quickly finding their way, uh, dying in committee because they they want to narrow the, the scope on the amount of bills. Some of the final calendars are still very long, and they know, like, gosh, there's no way we're going to get through all these. So they, yeah. just, they just start killing them one by one. Recently, HB 2388, and we already kind of put out a notice on this, but we had a bill that would have allowed voters – Across the state to recall school board members, which you and I both know, if you've watched the news, we have an incredible amount of support for that. Right? Yep. Moms have been screaming at school board members now for well over a year. In fact, Joe Biden referenced Williamson County specifically, uh, which which predicated the domestic terrorist right. statement mm-hmm. from <laughs> from the mm-hmm. Attorney General. And uh, anyway, that bill failed. That bill died. It passed subcommittee but died in full committee. Get this. The main reason that bill died in committee was because – this was a comment from Representative Justin Lafferty out of the Knoxville area. Well, if we pass a bill that that folks can recall school board members, the way I see that working is, look, guys, I mean – he looked at his fellow legislators. You know sometimes these things are already difficult. I mean when we're faced with these decisions – we know sometimes even though we want to make the right decision which what he meant by that was a decision they want to make but that the people don't want them to make um. you know if we make this decision there will be hard consequences when we go back home and and you know we're always thinking about you know, re-election whenever we make some of these really tough decisions. And I just, man, I, I really worry about the consequences of this bill moving forward.
0: You mean you really worry about being held accountable <laughs> right. by your constituents? I'm like, you mean— Kind of the way the government should work. You're worried about that?
2: So if this bill passed, what you're saying is, is that school board members would be thinking long and hard about possible ramifications before pushing the button? Yeah. Like, bro— that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're we're trying to give parents and voters an additional measure of accountability that they can hold over these school board members that have been ignoring us. You know, these last two years. Yes, we want them to think harder about their decisions. Anyway, it's like I, I don't know. So that bill died, and um, we've got some major issues going on with the elec- election integrity bills. One more bill that I'll just mention: HB nineteen forty four. This is the bill that everybody's talking about. It's in the news on every radio station. John Rich has testified. <clears throat> Victoria Jackson from Saturday Night Live has testified. This is the bill that would keep obscene materials and pornography out of our schools. Something you you would think is a no-brainer. Mm.
0: The
2: problem is, and and I you know actually I I I released a video. I pulled it down because there's some things that I I need to get right on there, and so I'm going to issue a correction video. Uh, you know, you can always admit when you were a little off. Sure. However, the the fact is, the bill, or instead of putting the burden on schools to keep pornography out of out of the school, it puts the burden on parents, who must first, I would assume, by their child having been exposed to the material, make parents aware of the material. And then bring the material to the director of schools, the superintendent, and then go before the school board. And then the school board decides whether or not the material is actually obscene and as to whether or not they're actually going to pull it down. And then guess who the the, the enforcement of all of this as to, what, as to if the school is implementing this policy appropriately – goes back to the CRT bill we passed. The enforcement clause is, you guessed it, Commissioner Penny Schwinn, Mm -hmm. who has the sole authority now to determine whether or not the school board has an appropriate policy. The original bill put the duty on the schools. And if the schools are providing obscene material to students, they faced a potential Class C felony. Mm. They were facing prison under our criminal justice code. Now, that's why Tennessee Stands initially fully supported the bill and asked all of you in Tennessee to email and call your legislators, which you did. Unfortunately, it's been amended into a a not-so-great place. But my understanding is they're working on some things that maybe will be addressed. It's not completely done yet. But it's just amazing that in Tennessee, again, I keep saying this, in a supermajority – in the Bible Belt, with all of the outcry we, and support we've had from parents, with all of the news that this bill has gotten, that we simply can't pass a bill that just takes this filth out of schools. And that's not what this bill does. And why is that so hard?
0: So I don't want to go down too far a rabbit hole, but explain. So the health care bills that we've talked about, the med- medical freedom bills and stuff. We obviously understand why those are being shot down. Those are those are medical field lobbyists. Yeah, the killing money. Those, the the money. Big, big,
1: pharma. Yep. Yep.
0: What is it that would be that would be stopping legislators from doing the common sense thing and just going like passing these bills on this kind of stuff? There's no lobbyist for like. There's no. Porn
2: lobbyists. Yeah. yeah I was there's just no adult say. industry
0: lobbyist or anything Ob- like that. Obscene
2: material lobbyists.
0: Right. So well, to your point, like what what is the guess as to why
1: yeah is it are there lobbyists or do these legislators who are voting on it do they have skeletons in their own closets well you I, know, it, yeah
2: maybe is it the threat of cancel culture you know the the culture is shifting so hard that, um, you know, they're concerned about losing elections in the general, you know, I I, I, I don't know. Oh, because
1: you don't want to be labeled homophobic.
2: Right, or, you or, know, yeah. you're bigoted or, right. you know,
1: whatever. So y- you can imagine some of these legislators then when they're before the throne of God on the day of judgment saying, well, Lord, the reason I didn't obey was because I didn't want to be deemed homophobic. Mm. I think that's going to go off. Yeah, that'll go
2: well. a You know, I'll just say, I mean, literally one of the arguments— so this, this woman gets up and she's testifying and she's literally I mean I'm, I'll just say it because this you know this is in your kid's library it's you open up the book there's two boys and one's giving one little boy is giving the other little boy a blowjob and the book's describing like how to try this stuff out and how you should feel okay about it you know this is your body and you, and, you know whatever so she's reading this stuff this, to, this is
0: this is middle school right middle,
2: middle school middle school book in our library Uh, Provided to the library for free, by the way, by Scholastic. Mm. Okay. This is bonus material for all the books you purchase. Representative um, G.A. Hardaway, uh, who's a Democrat out of Nashville, is defending this.
0: In what way? How can Uh, you possibly be defending this?
2: Critical thinking. And he says this. He says, you know, what your child's going to be exposed to this anyway— wouldn't you rather them be exposed to this in school, so that we can help them to appropriately think no, through this? No, that's not a no. That's no, a hell no. no. <laughs> this is what this is what these people, these people are, are thinking. Sick. And 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 what essentially what they're saying is, we want to parent your children. We want to inform your child's worldview. It's, we feel that that's our
1: responsibility. <laughs> no, it's not. Excuse mm. me. Yeah, it's not just that they want to. They believe. That they have the authority. That kind of comment when he says this particular representative, what was his name again? Hardaway. G.A. Hardaway. G.A. Hardaway, Democrat Nashville. Yep. When he takes the position that, quote, wouldn't you rather have them learn this in school, end quote, he's already assumed that position of authority um, as if it's a good thing, right? As if it's a noble pursuit for the school to be the one that is the moral influence in your children's lives.
0: So, I know there were a lot of people lined up to speak on the last bill we discussed when Debbie was here on the last episode. uh, And then they got shut down. That was the patient's
2: rights bill, yeah.
0: Were there a lot of people in attendance and ready to speak on this pornography bill as well?
2: Yes. In fact, did they get to? They allowed public testimony for two hours. Okay. So, kudos to the House Criminal Justice Committee. Uh, chaired by Representative Clay Doggett, wonderful conservative um, out of our southern Middle Tennessee counties, and uh, yeah, they they sat there and listened to what everyone had to say. So on on that front, it was a very well run committee.
0: What was the uh, the public comment? Was it?
2: I, I would say mostly. I would say four or five to one in in our favor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yet, yet. You're still sitting with a bill that, you know, in my opinion, yeah, it's a step. We always talk about taking a bite out of the apple, you know, taking a step forward. And the question I've always asked since I've run Tennessee Stands is, why can't we just fix it? All of it, the whole thing. Now, I don't want a piece of it. Just do the right
1: thing. Just fix it. It's not hard. And notice it's not a two-way street. You hear people who profess to be conservatives and they say, we need to fix it one step at a time. Nothing radical, right? Yet the reason Mm, we're in this position in the first place is because the left went hardcore (laughs) radical and the conservatives think they're doing a good thing by chipping away. I always say it's like if someone lights your house on fire and it's burning down, the conservative position, (laughs) the conservative or the one who professes to be conservative would claim... Well, we just need to take, you know, little squirt gun here and, you know, put this little flame out in the corner. But there's no way we're going to get the fire hose and stop this fire. That's just not conservative. That'd be radical.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all in one year, we're going to burn down your city, lock you in your house, uh, close your business, put masks on your children, force you to take a vaccine in one year. But we're radical because we want to. Because we want to stop that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We just want, don't want pornography in our schools.
2: (sighs) Yeah. Anyway, yeah, a little bit
1: of a That's Tennessee it's, legislative it's, update. That's out, outrageous. <clears throat> and it tells you, by the way, if you said it was five to one mm-hmm. as far as favor against. Where the people are. Yeah. yeah. It shows you where the people are, and it shows you that it was a foregone conclusion for the committee. They already knew how they were going to vote on that. They, mm-hmm. How could you not be persuaded five to one, right? If they were really concerned about their um, being challenged electorally, which then relates to well, election and, integrity.
2: And just on that note, I mean, it, it did pass. It's, it's voted through. The problem is, what what passed was an amended bill that, of course, is got severely it. watered down mm-hmm. from what the original. did. Yeah. So.
0: Well, I didn't write your book, Kevin, so yeah. I don't know how you can segue from that to whatever you're going to talk about. But I'm sure there's a way you can do
1: it. Yeah, I can probably do it this way. Let me let me um, read a few excerpts. Let me read it. Read an introduction because. When you write something, why try to talk about it loosely? Why not use the actual words you spent Fair. months and months and months uh, creating? But first, why I did it and what it is. Um, the title of the book is An Apologetic for Liberty, and it has a deliberate approach as to how I'm marketing it. First of all, it's more like a, a booklet, not a full-length book. Uh, it's either a super long speech or a really tiny book. Hmm. Um, the point of the book, and it's also printed very small, not small type, it's 14-point type, but it's meant to be small so you can put it in your purse if you're a woman. You can put it in your suit coat pocket if you're a man. Or your fanny pack. Or your fanny pack. <laughs> or you your fanny, fanny
0: pack. pack. Gary wears a fanny pack. I've seen I, it quite I often. Used to,
1: I used to wear one of those, <laughs> and I understand that since they're back, I might have to start. Uh, it's debatable who you ask <laughs> if they're back or
2: not. I do not. By the way, I, I do not... I do. that was a
1: joke you was
0: it was it a joke yeah it was a joke. Okay. joke
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe John was saying that Gary is the type of guy that would wear a fanny uh. but I'm also not purposely not releasing it digitally um, it's meant to be a pamphlet that's circulated hand to hand combat uh, like the pamphleteers of old underground old school word of mouth um, we're printing 10,000 copies I'm not selling them I'm going to give them away and um, this is because I want it to be on as many tabletops uh, for initially in Tennessee, um, but the principles are universal; they're not applicable only to Tennessee. But I'll start going into a couple of excerpts, and, and in fact, I'll read you this from the back of the book, and you can kind of get an idea of what the intent was. Um, in recent years, we've witnessed an alarming failure by Americans to defend the cause of freedom. The enemy encamps around us, full of passionate intensity tearing down institutions and rebelling against God's established order. Yet, the best among us lacks the conviction to resist, enabled by the people of God, that would be the church, who seem to have convinced themselves that the cause of freedom is optional or that defending liberty is somehow unbecoming of a Christian. Well, as I argue in this book, it is not only fitting and proper for a Christian to defend the cause of liberty, it is essential. And unless one's liberty is rooted in a Christian worldview, it will be lost. Unless the Bible is true, we can neither account for nor sustain the cause of liberty. For the Christian worldview is not merely one of many divergent paths to liberty. It is rather the necessary precondition to the intelligibility of liberty. On the other hand, if the Bible can be dismissed, and if the people of God can be persuaded or deceived into believing that liberty doesn't matter— or that it can be set aside or sustained apart from Christ speaking through the Scriptures, then the enemy will have removed what even Thomas Jefferson knew was the only firm basis for securing our liberties, and that is a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. Mm. So that's the purpose. That's the motivation. And um, before I pull a couple excerpts, open up for questions or comment.
2: Well, I mean, the idea there that we, you know, typically when we're out doing a rally or if I'm out, you know, speaking, I mean, the the premise of Tennessee Stands is about defending these unalienable rights against government overreach. And the only way to really do that is to start with the premise that our rights are God-given and God-breathed. The fact that the way the founders understood it, we penned a constitution only to form a government whose job is to secure rights we already have from God. Uh, our rights don't come from government. And I think that's such a rudimentary thing that, that most Americans, they don't understand. I guarantee you if you go out, I've done it in rooms. If you go do a man on the street interview right now and you ask people, where do my rights come from? Their answer most often to you will be the Constitution. Well, if you believe your rights come from the Constitution, then you believe your rights were instituted by a government mm-hmm. and not by God. And and if you believe that, then, you're, then you believe that government can take your rights and you comply with all of the nonsense that we've seen over the last two years. And that's really the core. It's the crux of the problem. <laughs> it starts – in our foundational understanding of who God is, where our rights come from, and like you put in this introduction here,
1: it, it, it starts in the church. Hmm. It's it's a failure yes, of and, the American church. And let me let me elaborate more what the failure of the church is, because we have and, and let me let me make a distinction. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, who profess faith in Christ um, who don't live or act as if they are believers, and they don't act as if what God has done for them has any impact. So I'm setting aside those, and there are a number of those, but even among the professing Christians who are serious about their faith and aim to live politically and culturally overall within and and motivated by and animated by that faith, still when it comes to political matters— They have come to believe, and this is why we've slipped so far, that if they make a profession of faith as the basis for liberty in their political views, that they're, A, going to be made fun of, laughed at. at, Ostracized. Or they they don't even have the conviction that this is where their liberty comes from. They think they can justify liberty on another basis. And so let me give you an example. And again, this is really what motivated... Um, my writing this book, because I had an encounter with one of our state representatives. And um, it kind of led to this very strange belief by the representative. And I thought, here's a guy who professes faith, and he doesn't even understand the basis of liberty. By the way, um, John Winthrop uh, Mm -hmm. was the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And he explained that the proper end and object of authority, meaning government, is liberty. Now, if you say that to a a legislator today, (sighs) they won't even think of that. They think Mm -hmm. the proper end of authority is to be, especially like in Tennessee, oh, to be rich and prosperous and to have, you know, a lot of big business coming here and and quote unquote workforce development, Mm -hmm. right, or to protect Mm -hmm. your health. But Winthrop and our founders knew that the proper end and object of the government authority is liberty. And then he went on to say that we are to stand for this liberty with the hazard, not only of our goods, right, our money, temporal things, but of our very lives. So in February 2021, so this is little more than a year ago, after we'd come out of the first wave of COVID, we started to hear in our community that um, private businesses were thinking about implementing, and some of them did, unlawful and inhumane masking, jabbing, and testing requirements on their employees and their customers. And so I contacted one of our state representatives to ask how he planned to defend the liberties of his constituents against these unwarranted conditions and intrusions on their liberties. My representative, a Republican, deflected my concern, claiming his hands were essentially tied, that he was reluctant to regulate, quote, private business, and that, quote, private rights, Kevin, are powerful rights, end quote. As if the mere recitation of that phrase would should end the inquiry. Now, we've talked about here, the hypocrisy of that statement. So let me set that aside because we know that private business is regulated all the time. But I took the approach. I said, look, while you are correct to focus on property rights, the property rights of the business are not the only property rights implicated. And so your instinct, Mr. Representative, to protect the business, whatever your justification, could not therefore be viewed in isolation. And I reminded him that individuals also had property rights, And those individual property rights are not limited to the tangible things that we think about, real and personal property. But James Madison explained that our property rights extend even to, and in fact, the most essential property rights, our ideas, our convictions and beliefs that form the essence of our conscience and our being. So, since a mask, a jab, or a testing requirement for entering a store, buying a product, participating in the marketplace especially when it comes to essentials like food, clothing, medical access, necessarily pits the property rights of a business against the property rights of an individual citizen, I asked my representative how he resolved this conflict of rights and on what basis he concluded that protecting the property rights of the business deserve priority over his constitutional and moral duty to protect the property rights of individuals. And of course— <laughs> I don't think this particular representative had adequately considered his quote, it's a private business defense, (laughs) because the best he could muster, and I could tell through the tone of the email, it was a terse and incoherent reply that, well, I'm not choosing or prioritizing the rights of a business over the rights of an individual. Incoherent. And I tell you that that's kind of the preamble to why I wrote this book, because it highlights a problem that's all too common among the political establishment. Remember, these are the very men who are elected to defend our liberty and to secure our sovereignty. I think if you ask this representative, he would identify himself as a Christian. Yet this representative, like most of yours, was unwilling or unable to articulate a Christian defense of liberty. And as this book will explain, if you do not base your concept of liberty in Christ, it cannot be sustained.
0: Hmm. So, there's, so there's two things for me. When you read what is labeled right here the back cover of your book,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it kind of answered my question that I had from earlier in the, at the top of the episode. When I, I asked, you know, with, with the medical freedom bills, there's always a uh, healthcare care company lobbyist. What is it that's stopping these guys from just passing these bills about anything else for that matter? But I, it's, this, it's this line right here. The enemy will have removed what even Thomas Jefferson knew was the only firm basis for securing our liberties, a conviction in the minds. I think that's the answer. Mm. We don't have we don't have leaders in, in leadership roles that have the conviction to get rid of this crap.
1: Nope. Their conviction is their money. Yeah. Self preservation. Yep. Self preservation, fear, fear of the wrong things, right? We all have fears, but if you're not fearing God first, your fears are out of line. And um, you're you're always always going to be motivated by what you fear the greatest. And they clearly they don't fear us anymore. Um, and unfortunately, they don't fear God. And that's why it's so difficult uh, to get them to listen to the people who elected them.
0: And the and the second thing is you mentioned so many of true Christian. You know, you set aside the people who claim to be Christians but aren't living. But right. the true conservative christian who won't stand up for the political aspects of or opinions in life and you you named what you said self-preservation basically is what Mm -hmm. you named i think there's another step to that which is where i was at two years ago Mm -hmm. it's it's just naivety
1: yeah it's It's lack of knowledge and naivety and it's it's really ignorance and i don't say that disparagingly no,
0: because I take that because that that's where it was. It was ignorance, and it, it's ignorance in the fact that well, this is America, it can't happen
1: in America. Well, not only that kind of ignorance. I mean, an ignorance as to as to understanding why their very concept of liberty cannot be argued to its end unless it's argued from a Christian worldview. If you try to argue, and I I won't go into it here. There's a section of this book that's dedicated to explaining why alternate theories of liberty cannot be explained or defended to their end. They always mm-hmm. result in a conflict. They always result in surrender, negotiation. You can't explain or account for what you're doing other than if your liberty is rooted in a Christian worldview. And Christians have abandoned that. I understand when a non-Christian abandons that position, a libertarian will take the position that, that liberty is just inherent – but i explain in my book why that's not defendable and why it's actually not accurate. Can can we dive
0: into that a little bit? Is that possible? Well, yeah, it I, is. It is. Yeah, and i and i can i
2: my brain's turning a little bit on that. You know, liberty that's not based in Christ is arbitrary because it's not based in anything. Um and you, when you mentioned libertarian it made me think
0: this is where i want to go with it. <clears throat>
2: well, because a libertarian <clears throat> Just believes in in liberty. We should just have liberty. We should all just be able to freely, you know, smoke pot. In a libertarian mind, you just you smoke pot, you do drugs, you do things into an oblivion, as long as you're doing your own own property, you're you're quote unquote not hurting you anything do else.
0: You do you as long as it's not hurting me.
2: That's right. the The issue is is it never really works out that way. Why? Uh, you got to go back to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul talked about that he had not known sin except if it were for the law he he and he talked about uh, covetousness he said if i wouldn't have known it's sin to covet my neighbor's wife had the law not told me so okay and we have law so this this idea of liberty well understand that we live under the rule of law you and and you also have to understand that all law in its essence is a restriction on liberty to some degree. And why is that necessary? Because as a society, as as a people, just like Paul, we learn what is good and what is evil by what is legal and what is not. It is literally how we are taught, which means what I'm saying is all law is moral law. Every culture through its law is teaching morality to its people. And thank God that our morals are based in a Christian worldview. Because look, look at Middle Eastern countries; their law is moral law
0: according to them.
2: According to them, and right. unfortunately, that moral law is based on Islam. Yeah, which is why you have you know the, the craziness you have going on over there, where you you beat people and you you do the things you demean women, and you just you know it's it's total nonsense. Mm. I've you know. So it's all about where we're going to have law and we're going to have morality. It has to be based in something. So the libertarian has a problem because this idea of just giving everyone liberty, number one, it's arbitrary. Number two, it's just not possible in in humankind uh, because there has to be a basis of morality. All law is moral. Paul knew it. We know it. And the founders knew it. So we have to be willing to accept in our idea of what liberty is, that we all accept a moral law that in some way restricts our liberty only to a certain degree so that we might all enjoy the blessings of liberty. Because if we don't and we just have liberty, well, at some point, my liberty runs into your liberty mm-hmm. and there's a conflict and we have a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So I-, I think when you say liber- that's the libertarian dilemma, is that at the end of the day, it's rooted in nothing, and it doesn't work, which is why I'm a conservative. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Well, I'm a conservative because I have a Christian (laughs) worldview, not because I don't
0: like... But that's that's why I wanted to go there, because I have people in my life who have told me, who I know, for a fact, have a Christian worldview, but they've told me they're libertarians. And I'm like, you can't be, you physically can't be a libertarian.
1: Yeah. You have a so, problem. If you
0: have a Christian worldview.
1: So let me, let me address that, um, pick up from where Gary was going, address your question. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but another excerpt from the book. Among those who love liberty, the most common objection to our claim that liberty cannot be coherently explained or sustained apart from Christ are those who believe that liberty is, quote, inherent in humanity. Now, while that group who advanced this theory are comprised of various elements, most of them would self-identify as libertarians, a term I'll use for convenience here, provided no one misunderstands that I'm of the impression impression that only libertarians hold this view, because those who hate liberty also believe in a kind of freedom that is inherent, at least for them. And they'll talk about political liberation, sexual liberation, liberation theology, Mm. These are all means of throwing off all restraint, which is the opposite of true liberty, which is the freedom to obey the one who made us. So to say that liberty is inherent is to say, that's just how it is, or it's self-evident. But this is not an answer. It's a conclusion, and it begs other questions like, how do you know that liberty is inherent? And even if you manage to prove that liberty is inherent, why is this so? Now, I have a lengthy explanation that I'm not going to go into because I want to jump forward, but my book addresses that. And then we talk about how, if you are not a Christian, how do you account for the concept of freedom outside of a supernatural worldview in which all things are created by God and held together according to the counsel of his will? Again, I've skipped forward. You can read about that in the book, but it's not adequate to simply say it is obvious or the thing speaks for itself, right? Again, that's a libertarian point of view. It's just made in us. It's inherent. It's obvious. Everything and every event is interpreted according to the worldview of the person or the presuppositions of the one giving the account. If, for example, an oil tanker disappeared over the horizon of the Western Pacific, it doesn't speak for itself. To someone who believes the earth is flat, that vessel is going to speak a much different message than to those of us who know the world is round. Mm. It's like, good. Likewise, someone who believes that a novel virus just happened to overtake the world in 2020 will interpret sudden international lockdowns, masking, jabbing, medical passports as a necessary response to get us back to normal. Whereas those of us whose philosophy of history begins with the scriptures and who know what the Bible says about the inclinations of the hearts of men will view these events much differently. Hmm. Now, let me add one more thing. That's the truth. Even if liberty were self-evident, how do you account for the why? In other words, a libertarian may grasp that a person is created with freedom and dignity, but absent the word of God, the libertarian is incapable of providing a coherent explanation for why this is the case. And unless you can explain why we are free, liberty will become subject to arbitrary limits, which Gary talked about arbitrariness, and conflicting claims. Absent a clear understanding of why we are free, liberty devolves into license, which is a deceptive and destructive counterfeit to liberty. Whereas the Bible explains the object of our freedom is to obey our Creator and to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, the libertarian concept of freedom has no such transcendent purpose Or external restraint to keep it from becoming an excuse to do as one pleases, leading ultimately to anarchy and a loss of all order. Hmm. So
2: like for me, with, with what you just said, that's one of the difficulties of running an organization like Tennessee Stands is because you're reaching a diverse group of people. Many of which have a view of liberty only from a Westernized American concept, you know, are the just the the free freedom of speech, you know, and and uh, the Second Amendment, but they don't really. It's that's liberty for them, and it's not really rooted in Christ. And so it's hard sometimes. I'm, I'm told, well, Gary, be careful. You don't, you don't want to be too religious. And I get that, and I and I want to bring those people along but it's difficult because you you can't <laughs> you can't really sustain the fight against tyranny and against evil and against all the things that are upon us if you first don't have the real true understanding of where your liberty mm-hmm. comes from yeah and that's that's
1: been that's been some that's been difficult this is at why times. it no you, you hit a very good point Gary this is why The American fight for liberty has been hollowed out, too, when it comes to whether it's Marxism, whether it comes to Islamism, any of the worldviews that are anti-American at at, at the core, right? Anti-liberty, anti-ordered liberty, right? We're not talking about license. We're talking about ordered liberty. The reason those fights are so easy for the other side, easy for our opponents is because they are a moral cause. They're the wrong morality, but they are causes for which people would die. In our country, we've hollowed out all of the moral underpinnings of liberty, and it's Christian foundations, and so all we have are people who defend it for money, Mm. for jobs, corporatism. None of that's people aren't going to die for those things. They, they that, that doesn't give you a passion to live. Those are just practical, you know, implements of living your Art, life. And arts, that's why we're not able to defend it.
2: Or it's what you said in one of our previous episodes. I can't remember if this was the phrase you used, but but basically like the benefits of freedom. The collateral the benefits. Collater- that's right. Yeah.
1: The, yeah, the difference. And and that's how they're only agreeing. if you're only living for those collateral benefits of liberty. So that can I use that as a great segue to mm-hmm. lead you read you one more excerpt from near the end of the book? Because I opened this session or this segment with remarks from um, or quote from John Winthrop. Mm-hmm. He was a man who obviously instood, understood that tangible society couldn't exist unless the intangible and eternal cause of liberty is valued more highly than the things that liberty provides. But Winthrop didn't callously dismiss the importance of food, clothing, jobs, or staying alive, nor do we. That's not what we're doing. But he recognized that liberty is the precondition for these other things. And if anything is to be surrendered, it must be these other things, not because we don't need them, not because we don't enjoy them, but simply due to the fact that the collateral benefits of liberty will cease to exist If we starve that source, surrendering liberty for the ephemeral security of food, clothing, a job, or your life even is akin to killing the goose that lays the golden egg or a silly selling all of the available fuel in order to keep the car with the leather seats and the hi-fi stereo. So while in the short term, the required sacrifice can be daunting, the best means of sustaining adequate goods and services, jobs, and life itself is to protect the source of these benefits. That source is liberty, and the source of that liberty is God alone. So, can I play
0: Sweden here and take the neutral road for a second? There is no that's, such thing as neutrality. I'm
1: sorry, Switzerland? You should you should take my <laughs> start, course... Sorry, with an S. You should yeah. take my course on Christian apologetics and re- realize that rule number one is there is no, such, no, thing no such thing as I, neutrality.
0: I get that. So, okay, let me take the devil's advocate side of this. How about, how about that? Yep. There you go. Uh... Can you have a person who does not claim to be a Christian and clearly understand liberty?
1: Yes. But um, this is what we would call—again, take my apologetics class—but from a worldview standpoint, everybody operates according to the Christian worldview, even those who rebel against the God who made them. And the reason we know this is so is because there's a whole— Inventory of universals, invariant universals that we all use all the time that cannot be accounted for outside of the Christian worldview in which God made everything and holds everything according to the counsel of his Mm -hmm. will. The scriptures tell us what the world is, the scriptures tell us about the character and nature of God, the character and nature of man, and even the character of truth itself. And only if those things are true can we account for why, for example, we're having this conversation right? I, this is a rational conversation. And when I ask a question or you ask a question, you expect a rational response. I don't just go, water bottles upside down. It, just nonsense, right? Yeah. You'd say, well, that's nonsense. Well, yes. And in a Christian worldview, you should expect that, that not to be nonsense. But if I'm not a Christian, I have no basis for saying, you must respond to my rational questions, all concepts that we use day in and day out, Christians and non-Christians, are absolutely, absolutely dependent upon the fact, the truth, that God created the earth, that God is who he says he is in the scriptures, that we are who he says we are, and that the world is what it is. So, to the point of your question, people all the time operate with different silos and snippets of truth. They always, they always work within all of them and pretend they don't, but even can understand them because they are created in God's image, whether or not they choose to believe that, whether they rebel against it, um, and God makes himself manifest to everyone. That's what Romans 1 is all about. You know, God tells us that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, not just in what we see externally, but internally, how he has made us. God doesn't make a mistake and make somebody. He, he's he's an all-encompassing, all-sufficient, all-knowing God. He would therefore not be that God if he created somebody who didn't know him. Mm-hmm. Why would God create someone who didn't know him? So, if we believe the God of scriptures and God is who he says he is, then it would be impossible for him to make someone who didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And yet, unless God is who he says he is in scriptures, you couldn't know anything else either. You could... Uh, an example is, well, a simple way of saying it, you cannot deny God unless you first presuppose Him.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Whoa, that just got—now, that's a deep statement. But it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot
1: of sense. So, I, I get excited about these things because I teach about them. Yeah, why,
2: I, would we, why would we even be considering or thinking about God in the Well,
0: first it place? goes back yeah. to the statement that it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than to actually believe in God.
1: Absolutely. People operate on faith all the time. The, the question is, what governs their faith? What governs the reasoning, right? Christians should be the best of reasoners, and yet Christians are accused by atheists of not using the reasoning. It's like, no, not only do I use my reasoning, but I use my reasoning according to the world that God has created. And I would say to the atheist, if God doesn't— Atheist always says, if God exists, why do bad things happen, right? Mm. Well, you, you've got three questions for the atheist. Number one, if God doesn't exist— how do you know, how do you account for asking that question? How do you know what's good and what's bad? And how do you proceed on the expectation that things should be good?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <sighs> I think we just figured everything out. Yeah. It's a great episode.
0: We're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
2: but I, I can't wait for this for this book because I know that, I'm anxious. I wanted to talk about it today because I'm excited to get it in the hands of uh, some folks who follow Tennessee. Yeah, so and that's, that's
0: where I was going. That was my yeah. next question is like, so you're not selling this, so it needs to be given away. Given so away. How, how are you doing this? How are you so, distributing this? Well,
1: as Gary said, we're definitely going to uh, circulate a number of them to Tennessee Stands. Um, so if you are a member of Tennessee Stands, we obviously have to prioritize our most active members, and there's a way to figure that out. But um we want to get them into the hands of of those who are most active at Tennessee stands i also am giving them to people who i know have a network of people who would read them because mm-hmm. i'm giving them away i only have two conditions you cannot take them from me and sell them yourself <laughs> yeah and two you cannot take them and give them to people who wouldn't really read them right so if you take two copies because you have one friend who will read it great if you have a hundred people in a, in a network and you want to distribute them yourself, that's what I want. I just want them to be. I don't want anyone to to not because I've 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 written a number of books, but I've sold other books, and so you know, sold a hundred here, maybe sold a couple hundred, you know, little things. That's not the goal of this. The goal of this is to get the subject matter into the hands of as many people as possible. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't want anyone to feel they have to buy it.
2: I love the pamphlet idea too. You know, it's it just goes back to the old you you just printed up a few of these pamphlets and you're trying to shake the nation yeah. you know maybe, one person at a time
0: maybe we should have like parties where we walk down the streets and just well you don't want to give it out to people that don't don't yeah. read it so <laughs> never mind forget that we'll figure it out i just want i just wanted to make sure people knew how to get a copy Yep, in 2 weeks one.
1: in 2 weeks i'll bring it when it's printed we're close the printing process is almost done i'm going to i'm going to uh, approve the cover printing before that goes running off the press next week so i expect about 2 weeks i should have them
0: Okay. And I'm assuming we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll on figure out a way and... on
1: how we're gonna distribute that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. Thanks. Thanks for thank, sharing that with us. Thank you yeah. very
2: much. It's a good discussion. Really appreciate it.
0: Good stuff. Yeah. I think we uh I wonder
2: it. you know, I wonder if Joe Rogan would read the book. He would. Do you think?
0: If somebody
1: can get it to him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When he comes on the show, we'll give him a
1: copy. <laughs> no, that would take too long. <laughs> Let's give him a copy beforehand. Okay.
0: All right. He reads every book that he that he has sent. When he's preparing for interviews, well, this so. would only
1: take him an hour. So there you go.
0: See, Joe, always welcome. Uh, ratings and reviews, we love them. They help us as a show. So keep those coming. What else? We done? Anybody else? I think I'm done. Well, till we meet again.
1: Thanks, John. Right. Thanks, Gary. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.